Welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast, where we discuss the role of art and creativity in the church and in the world. We're your hosts, Justice Stout and Michael Menkoff. Our mission at Renew the Arts is to liberate Christian creativity. At renewthearts.org, you can see what we're working on and see how you can get involved in the creative revival that is currently happening in the church. So the God's Not Dead movie franchise has a third installment in theaters right now. Uh, while the original God's Not Dead is sitting pretty at a 15% critics rating on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> How is this franchise still going strong? Well, because even though 85% of critics hate it, a healthy 76% of audience members loved it. But that begs the question of <laughs> why is there this discrepancy? Well, a lot of people think, Kevin Sorbo included, that it's because unbelieving <laughs> critics are prejudiced against the gospel message of Christian art. Mm, I don't buy that. Well, either way, we're going to talk about it <laughs> and why it matters. Sounds good. This is Why Unbelievers Hate Christian Art and Should We Care? Well... <laughs> <laughs> now that we got that out of the way, <laughs> working on our podcast vibes, podcast procedures. Right. Um, all right. Yeah. Uh, God's Not Dead. It is, like you said, in its third movie now. Somehow. Somehow. It, I think Have it's you called... seen any of them? I saw the first one. Oh, you did? Yeah. 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 That was all that it took for me. How long after it came out did you see it? I saw it on uh, at my house, so I'm pretty sure I watched it once it came, it came out came on out. video. I think my parents bought it. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to throw my parents under the bus. They're, <laughs> they're fine people. They're perfectly <laughs> fine uh, Anyway, uh, yeah, so I saw it. it uh, it's bad. Did you watch it with your parents? I did. What did they think about it? They liked it. All right. I was, I was, I was actually embarrassed for all of us and the movie while I was watching it. Like the kind of un- uncomfortable it, it, it was awkward, it was... yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I would rather have been watching like an R-rated movie with my parents, but it was sort of like the similar awkwardness. We are like, are we really watching this right yeah, yeah, now? Yeah. Am I really watching this? For people parents? who don't know, um, Michael's parents are incredibly awesome and incredibly supportive of, of what we do. So in that sense, it's... Yeah, it's no, and uh, part of the reason for supporting God's Not Dead is from that same spirit, right? Of desiring to support people who are making Christian art, absolutely. even if they're not all the way there. I mean, we're not all the way there. Yeah, like, absolutely. You know, they've been supporting us while we didn't have a lot to show for it. So, um, so that's part of what what's going on there. And I think actually that does explain some of the discrepancies between critics and audience members. Okay. The audience members, I mean. The people who showed up to this movie were Christians who wanted to support Christian art. Mm-hmm. And so that explains the audience approval rating. Right. It doesn't explain, however, the critics' disapproval rating. Um, and so a lot of the people that have, that have talked about how this movie has been received, uh, Kevin Sorbo is one of them. He was in the original. I, I think he... Well, I don't know if I want to spoil the movie. I don't know if it matters, but he, spoiler alert! Spoiler, if, if you're really, yeah. if you're really hanging into this, on the on the edge of that cliff, if you're waiting for them to make the fifth and final uh, of the pentology before you watch any of the movies, then, then to skip binge watch this, this podcast. Yeah, to skip this part right here. Okay. Uh, just fast forward a couple of seconds. Anyway, Kevin Sorbo dies uh, in the first one. 
Mm. And but he becomes a Christian like right before right before he dies. Yeah, right before he, okay. he has a deathbed conversion on a street, like a he gets hit by a car or something. I, I don't remember exactly, but it was something along those lines. Anyway, so he was in it. He was the uh, atheist philosopher who spits out a bunch of extremely obvious and easily uh, defeatable arguments against religion, and then eventually is won over by the newsboys or something. So he died. Um, by being a straw man, like he died. The straw man died. Yeah, the he, straw man he, got hit he, by a car. Yeah, the straw man was hey, burned, went everywhere. burned in effigy. It was, uh, <laughs> it was terrible. Anyway, so he said this in an interview with Fox News. Um, this is a quote. There's so much bashing going on in the media and world for people who believe in God. There's so much anger in Hollywood. They don't like the truth. They'd rather be lied to, and they just attack anybody who doesn't agree their way. Yet they scream for tolerance and they scream for freedom of speech, but only if it's their way. I don't begrudge them their beliefs. Why do they begrudge mine? Mm. So part of this is there's an attitude in this, a sort of martyr complex that's being um, extended uh, of this idea that, oh, you know why non-Christian critics hate this movie? Unbelieving critics hate this movie it's because, because it's they Christian. hate Christianity. They hate Christianity. So of course they'd hate this movie. And look, I'm not arguing that there are unbelievers who are violently opposed to the Christian message. But there are a lot of evidences that what he's saying doesn't fully explain the critical response. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the major evidences actually is the way that critics have responded to good movies, even when they are Christian. So right. if you look at, I'll just give you is one. This, so the question is, is this a main, is this a pattern? Yeah. And are there any Christian movies that critics do like? Yes. Right. Now, one of my favorite movies of all time is Ben-Hur. And Ben-Hur is explicitly Christian. Mm -hmm. um, it, it has a, actually a pretty straightforward gospel message, even centered on Jesus. And it's, uh, I don't know whether or not Christians made it or whatever, but I would say that it is a very edifying uh, Christian movie, or a movie that is edifying for Christians, for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you look it up on Rotten Tomatoes, you'll see that it has an 87% uh, fresh rating from critics. And it has an 89% very similar audience response. That's only two points off. Only two points off. So, so you're saying, okay, so in this case, the audience really loves it. They feel like their message is being affirmed. But critics also think this is a well-done movie. Even though it had an explicitly... Christocentric, gospel-driven storyline. Right. That was clearly designed, actually, for the purpose of, of talking about themes of forgiveness, and not just vague themes of forgiveness. It actually is it actually on Jesus. It actually features Jesus in the, on the cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. It's, it's Jesus the on the cross in the movie that is the source of life and healing and forgiveness. It's not beating around the bush. Like, it's, it's, it's extremely explicit. All right, so what's the difference between Ben-Hur... And something like God's Not Dead. Ben-Hur is a good movie. <laughs> that, that's the difference. That's actually it's, the difference. It's specifically Christian, and it's specifically good. awesome. Yeah, it's specifically actually really well done. The writing is good. The directing is good. The plot is good. The acting, the acting is good. acting is really Charlton good. Heston. Charlton Heston, really good. Uh, the themes are great. The music is great. The costumes are great. The, the sets are great. Everything about it is good. That is why people like it. Um, God's Not Dead, on the other hand, is a badly told story um, with undeveloped characters, 
with laughably cringeworthy dialogue edited by someone who has no idea how to put together a film uh, and directed by a person who knows some of the rudiments of how to put point a camera at stuff but mm -hmm. is not using it for any storytelling. Mm -hmm. Almost the entire movie is told in the in the words. If it's so bad, mm -hmm. then why did so why is it so popular? Well, because actually I'd say there's a reverse prejudice. Most Christians so desperately want to see their viewpoint represented in quote Hollywood or quote movies or quote art that they're willing to support things that have an ichthus stamped on them, even if they're not good. And that's a real problem. Part of the problem is that you think you're supporting Christian art when you do that, mm -hmm. but in some ways you're not. If you look at the slew of, quote, Christian movies that have come out after, uh, you know, God's Not Dead and Sherwood Pictures proved that you can make a low-budget film and make a lot of money off of it, mm -hmm. um, most of those movies, even the big ones, are not being made by believers. So you have movies like Noah, who's made by, made by Darren Aronofsky, that he does not care. Like, he is an unbeliever through mm -hmm. and through. Or you have Ridley Scott's, uh, what is that, Gods and Kings or whatever that movie was about the, the Exodus, which had some really, both Noah and that, that uh, Gods and Kings or whatever it was, the Exodus movie, had some really cool scenes in it. Mm -hmm. But... It was like they missed the entire thing. It, it, it's kind of like... Did you see Noah? You saw Noah? I did, yeah. Okay. I saw Noah, and I saw um, and I saw Gods and Kings as well. Gods and Kings had some really cool parts to it, some really interesting parts to it, but the unbelief was palpable. Mm. It was like, you know how th this slew of comic book movies tries to m realistify the comic book world to where it's like, oh, this is... This is more. This is a grittier view, but this is more like this a is technology. Down gotcha. Like you can use technology in order to make something that was similar to what Batman's cape was in the original. But Batman's cape in the original is just a whimsy, whereas now it's like a technology thing. Yeah. You know, it's super cool and like real. Like this could really happen. Um, well, they sort of tried to do that, where it's like let's take this mythology and turn it into something that makes realistic sense. Mm -hmm. So like in Ridley Scott's movie, for instance, the plague, the, the progression of the plagues was very much uh, like scientific, where it's like, okay, well, if all the fish die that, you know, from all the blood, then that causes all the frogs to leave. And then when the frogs leave, because they leave, they are there's like tons and tons of them, and then they die, and that's because that, that that's brings why the, the flies. flies come. Yeah. That kind of makes sense, though. No, it kind of does make sense. But at a certain point in this progression, right, like it actually, it actually doesn't make sense anymore. Like mm. when the land is covered in darkness, for instance, you know, you have certain places in the movie where that, that just doesn't, and I'm saying it's certain places in the story, in the narrative, right. where God sort of enters in and says, you have no explanation for this, Egyptians. Mm -hmm. And you can, kind of, you can kind of see, okay, well, maybe Pharaoh's hardness of heart was somewhat oriented toward uh you, you know toward these natural explanations or even the sorcerer's explanations oh we also can add more gnats to right. what are already here you know the gnats that are here it's like why we don't need more gnats sorcerers like stop doing that <laughs> um but anyway i i'm looking at i'm looking at that kind of stuff and you're like well that's cool that was a pretty cool scene and it, and it was and, and even though he was trying to realistify it and then after that, you can see a great deal of unbelief mm. uh, exhibited in the movie. There's still parts of it where it's like, oh, you know, it's pretty cool. Got a big budget, you know, 
and it looks cool. It looks pretty cool, but it's not being made by believers. It's made by unbelievers. And so some of the best movies being made on Christian stories, biblical themes, etc., are being made by unbelievers. Not so we gotta we we have to choose if it's a good Christian movie or well a good movie made Christian by content <laughs> or a bad Christian movie. Right. Yeah. And if you're gonna choose between one or the other, I mean, honestly, I would rather support believers. I think that's the thrust of the scriptures in terms of doing good to the household of God. Well, um, the good news is that we don't. Have to have choose. to choose, or we shouldn't have we to shouldn't choose. And have for to long, I, yeah, yeah, it won't be the case, and it won't be the case forever. But part of it, and it's a really, it's kind of a catch twenty two because you're like, well, you need to stop supporting bad Christian art, and you need to give support instead to Christian artists who are going to be able to make better, more well crafted, <laughs> more excellent pieces of art. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the problem altogether, though really does boil down to this issue of labels. Um, It shouldn't be the case that we have a quote-unquote Christian music industry. Or a Christian film industry. Or a Christian film industry. Yeah, this is actually a question, because you brought up Ben-Hur. Right. And it's like, hey, here's a Christian movie. Ah, but it wasn't necessarily made by Christians, at least. And... Uh, people or listening, Noah or Gods and Kings. You know, feel free to jump in here. I don't know what the production uh, crew looked like for William, Ben Hur. Wiley, I think, is the director. I'm not sure, but um, there could, you know, you could say, well, Ben Hur wasn't made by Christians, so non Christians were more receptive to it. Does that make sense? But it's, mm-hmm. but that's why we defined Ben Hur as a Christian movie having an explicitly gospel oriented message, and that if it's the gospel that Christians hate, or that, excuse me, if it's the gospel that non-Christian critics hate, then they should have hated Ben-Hur as well. And it's um, not just Ben-Hur. I mean, yeah, seriously, yeah. you're talking about Dostoevsky, Flannery O'Connor, Bach. You have huge numbers of extremely explicitly Christian uh, ar- artists and art. That are still, to are this still day, re- in, in highly high regarded. regard among non-Christian critics. Yeah, I mean, if you go to a secular college, you know, secular, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote, humanistic, quote-unquote, anti-Christian, quote-unquote, atheist, whatever, you know, you go to this college, and you go to a literature class, like, a lot of that literature is going to be made by Christians, still, to this day. Mm -hmm. If you take a Russian literature class, it's, like, all made by Christians. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I I have a hard time with that narrative. I I think the narrative is self-serving. What narrative? The narrative of we are we are being persecuted for our Christian beliefs by these critics who hate what we're doing. I think no, you're you're just they're just criticizing the movie because it's not very well done. Yeah. Now, when you make a really good movie and they still persecute it and they still reject it, which wouldn't happen in this country. I mean, like the Christian persecution narrative within this country is kind of laughable, considering the fact that in some countries people are actually being killed. For being Christian, mm-hmm. you know, so if if non critics, if non Christian critics are giving your movie a pan, I, I don't know that that's the height of like you know. Oh, we're being well, you should definitely bring uh, <laughs> the second or the First Amendment into yeah, it. You right, know, freedom yeah. of speech, and right. who are they to say I can say what I want? They just hate me because I'm right. No, no, no not, not no. so much. So if you're making art, if you're a Christian mm-hmm. and you're making art and it's not being received very well by the world. First ask yourself, is this terrible? 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and maybe <laughs> don't ask them? yourself that. <laughs> ask other people. Maybe ask other people. That's that. an even better. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So and do, and do and not do not first dis- in this. Yes, there. Are, I think a a lot of people could definitely hear this. Um, including including myself yeah. at stages of my of, totally. of you know being an an artist and and you know with Brock's Folly and different music and stuff like that do you know and there were times whenever like we would play a show in Chattanooga and it was like well a lot of that was kind of explicitly christian and they probably the christians probably thought oh these guys are being too on the nose and the mm-hmm. non-christians didn't want you know preaching us um but no i think i think 99% of the time we just didn't practice enough yeah, and and our and our product wasn't as good as it should have been. Right, and so I think it's probably an easy thing for a lot of Christian artists to fall back on, like, oh, it's because I'm Christian. But please, if that if that you know, if, if there's a chance that could be you, consider whether or not what you're doing could be you know uh, better received if it was excellent. And if you really want to find out if that's the case or not, ask as many people as you can. Yeah, and the harshest criticism you get, even from an unbeliever, even if it's prejudiced, you can still read through these reviews that were written on God's Not Dead, and most of them are spot on. And that is a great point. So if if you still disagree with us at this point, if it's like, eh, I still think critics are panning it because it's Christian, go to the Rotten Tomatoes website and read the reasons people are panning this movie and mm-hmm. see if it's... Accurate. I hate, I hate, yeah, see, see if, see if they're panning it because it's Christian. And the filmmakers, if they weren't saying, oh, we're just being persecuted for our message, they could actually learn a lot from this criticism. Mm-hmm. We can learn a lot from this criticism. And I think that's one of the reasons why this topic matters, mm-hmm. that if we're going to present a comely, winsome uh, Christianity, a beautiful Christianity to the world... Uh, we do need to be listening to their criticisms. You're saying it's not going to work to keep making really bad movies and then get really upset when it gets panned. <laughs> I don't think it's going to. This work. isn't going to. This isn't oh, going to win any favors. This isn't going to convince them. Listen, dude, God is not dead. <laughs> and I don't know sorry. what movies you've been watching. I'm sorry, okay. but we're proving. All right. To the world. I hang my head. Which is 5% of our audience in theaters <laughs> that God is not dead. This is bad. Okay, no. So anyway, it could be helpful to listen to these criticisms, for one. Secondly, if we're going to make better Christian art, quote unquote, how about we just stop talking about Christian art at all? Please, yes. I mean, yes. really, it's and just, it's bad or it's good. And I know that- and That's it. I know it can be a little frustrating listening to the podcast, being like, "You keep talking about it," yeah. But there's no trying, other There's no other way to address it except to awkward. use terms that you don't like in order to convince people to use new terms. Right, and the new terms wouldn't even necessarily be that great. It's just, look, you have Christians, you have believers. They're in the world. They're in the art world, and they are making art. Mm-hmm. And the question is not whether or not they're making Christian or non-Christian art, whether or not you can stamp an ichthus on what they're doing. Really, the only question that needs to be asked is, are they making good art? Mm-hmm. And now a person might come in here at this point and say, well, you know what? Just because they make something that's well-crafted, like there are lots of things that are well-crafted that aren't edifying. Mm-hmm. But are you? But if a Christian, now I'm, ta- I'm saying like a Christian, a believer, 
I write poetry. I write songs. You write songs. We 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 write and we work in, in the arts. Is it possible for you as a believer to not talk about your relationship with God if that relationship is actually real? Um, I think it's probably possible in little windows. Yeah. Like there are going to be cases, maybe a song where I'm yeah. not talking about God, but m- more, more, yeah, yes, yes, there yeah. are those windows. Right. But the reality is that your whole entire worldview, exactly. your whole entire perspective And that's on what everything. I think is more important. It's like, if you're a Christian, yeah. you're going to be talking about God all the time. Not necessarily. Like, do you? Like, as far, even even if you're not a creative, or, you know, even if you're not an artist, like, does every sentence, does every vision you have, every time you open your eyes, are you, are you connecting it specifically and explicitly to God? In some ways, it's just the manner it is the way that you see the world. It's not that you're all. It's like that C.S. Lewis quote. You're mm. not always looking at the sun. You can. It's because of the sun that you can see the world, and it's because of God and my relationship with God and His truth that I. It is through that lens and in that mode of being that I experience the world, and therefore that I talk about my experiences. So if I'm making art, it's it's like the tongue. You know, there's a there's the wellspring that the, your words come up out of. And if the wellspring is bad, what what's coming out is bad. So right. you can call yourself a Christian all day, but if your heart is um, not there, then you're going to have a spring of a certain kind of bent. And, right. But you know, if your heart is there, and I'm not saying you have all your ducks in, the, in a row, but but if, if you are a Christian who is dedicated to your faith and dedicated to your craft, mm-hmm. chances are you're going to make good art that is going to explore, perceive, and proclaim a world in that which God is, is king. <laughs> in which God is king. And, right. and, and in some senses, that's going to be explicit, and in other, other senses, not going you're just be. going to be experiencing reality for what it truly is, because... That's part of it. That That is part of it. All truth is God's truth. Yeah. And so, if you... Um, Christianity isn't a filter you drop on your on your glasses, like, you know, you see things, ah, this is the Christian filter. Mm -hmm. If Christianity is true, then what God says about the world is what is real and is what is true. Right. And so in my book, I actually talk about this, the idea of vitamin G fortified art, where (laughs) you're like, where you add vitamin God. Oh, yeah. yeah. uh, You re-fortify something that's been stripped of all of its nutrients, and then you re-fortify it with vitamin God. It's like, well, the reality is that reality is embedded with, it's latent Mm -hmm. with meaning. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't have to reinsert God into a reality that is already vibrant with Mm -hmm. his testimony. Mm -hmm. And, but unless you don't see that. But see, that's problematic. If as a Christian, you feel like reality has to have God added Mm -hmm. in order to be Christian, I think you have an improper view of God. There's actually uh, an example with this um, in Thomas Kincaid. Like a lot of times, he would add these little, little crosses, or crosses, and, or... and I think he would do other things, like include the initials of his wife, which isn't you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But like, do have these like little right. Easter eggs, right, right, which was like, okay, I have a landscape, right, but it's Christian, 
because because I've I have, added if you left Christian artists like if you if you wanted to admire a forest and it was an up to a Christian artist to make a forest they wouldn't plant trees they would like turn all the trees into crosses right and be like ah see now you can remember that when you look at a forest right. you remember God God didn't do that and that's not what reality is so I think it's in yeah it's it's very important to realize that a good Christian artist is going to like he can paint a landscape because that is important and valuable and real. Yeah, the Hudson River School, mm-hmm. uh, Frederick Church, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, m- amazing landscapes that are very much exploratory of the sublime, and and of the grandeur and overwhelming grandeur of God. There's no ichthus scrawled in the corner. There's no crosses painted anywhere. Um, they just did good landscapes. And that, that testified to the glory and grandeur of God. Mm-hmm. Gerard Manley Hopkins, mm-hmm. you know, he even talks about it in the poem, God's Grandeur, which is a beautiful poem. And it's so well done that you're looking at it and you're saying, I believe this man. Mm-hmm. Like, I believe that this man knows what grandeur is, yeah. that this man knows what glory is. And so that's, that's, that's part of uh, something. I think just dropping the label Christian art altogether and just directing Christians to discipline themselves to actually make good art, excellently crafted art, honestly. Just whatever whatever God gives you to, to look at, whatever he gives you, whatever insight he gives you, whatever he gives you to work on, you do it with all your might, and you don't work with a slack hand. You don't, you don't rest on the laurels of Christianity, stamp a little ichthus on it, and think that that's going to be good enough. Mm-hmm. You go and you actually work really hard, discipline yourself, humble yourself before your critics, learn from their criticisms, and make really good art and continue to improve in that, and that will be witness. That will be witness of God's glory in the world. And, um, and so I, I want to give a couple of sort of closing uh, tidbits here on what, what I believe that artists who are Christians should be doing. I, I have one of two kinds of art that I think that artists who are Christians really need to be focusing on. And uh, one of them is they need to be producing art that conveys the gospel call and Bible truths with such craft and skill that unbelievers want to receive it even when they hate the message. Mm. Um, And then the second thing that they could be doing, so that would be ministering to unbelievers. Right. Okay, unbelievers would would listen to that if it were well done. Mm-hmm. They have. I mean, you've got artists like Lecrae who and or Sufyan who have non Christians, unbelievers who are listening to their work, and reading their work or whatever, and they are being affected by it in some way. Mm-hmm. And even though they don't like what he, they're saying, they like what they're doing to such an extent. And this is kind of this dissonance. Well, it's the dissonance because they they like what. It, they like what they're saying, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or they like what they're hearing. Yeah. And to some sense, they do like what they're saying. Like, yeah. Christianity isn't ugly. No, it's not. Christianity is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's such a strange thing for Christians to maybe sometimes assume that we're going to be ugly to the world. Right, and so you no, have to what, be all What we have to offer is the good news. Yeah. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's it. This should be honey. Yeah. And, uh, and it is honey. Like, this is a wonderful, good, like, the truth... What God has done for for us is awesome, and it's good news to Christians. It's good news to the world, and yeah. um, and whenever it's done in a good way, it's uh, appealing. It's appealing. It and should pe- be appealing. And what's I've I've seen lots of people who are unbelievers who have listened to uh, believing artists, uh, believing musicians, or who who have looked at b- believing paintings or read believers' books, um, and. I, 
I have seen it change their perspective on what Christianity is. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Okay, so number two, what Christian artists can be doing, or artists who are Christians, is they can minister to the church by actually dealing with real struggles and real joys that already saved people actually have. So rather than giving gospel-oriented art, meaning gospel call art, to Mm -hmm. the church, Mm -hmm. which is really what they're doing right now, because, I I mean, obviously, based on the discrepancy of the critics and the audience in God's Not Dead, you can see most of the people that are going to see that movie are already Christians. It's an echo chamber. It is. They want to go... They're not going... Like They're going to be confirmed. Very little percent of the people that went to the theaters or watched it at all went because they didn't think God was dead. Right. Even the title of the movie God's is literally going to place a gate through which most only almost only believers, people mm-hmm. who agree with the title in the first place, are going to watch it. And it's there's nothing wrong with a movie that's proving that God isn't dead or that deals with that kind of stuff. But if the point of the movie is to prove that God's not dead to people who don't believe that God is dead... <laughs> Or who don't believe that God's not dead. Yes. Who believe that, God is dead. Who believe that God is dead. It's a statistic failure. Yeah, exactly. Completely. Yeah, it's just not actually reaching its target audience. And we talked about this to some extent uh, at other times. But what I think is really important, though, is that artists who are Christians deal with issues that are going on within the church that maybe will convict a churchy audience. And that's what's really interesting. And this is this is what makes making this art is very difficult because it's very hard to finance. And we're mm-hmm. not going to get into it too much today <laughs> because that is a whole topic. Michael, in particular, really can get into this, and it's awesome. But it's what the church needs is not always what the church wants. Mm-hmm. And that's true because that's what individuals, that's how individuals act. You don't always, you don't, you don't want what you need. Mm-hmm. You want what you want. and um, Even if it's if, not good for you. Yes, absolutely. and uh, Especially if it's not good for you. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if you are an artist and you're making art for an explicitly Christian audience, it can certainly be to build up and to encourage, and that's awesome. But to just um, make comfortable or to confirm um, or to coddle, mm-hmm. Uh, this isn't doing, this isn't doing a whole lot for for anybody. No. It is, it is in my mind, it is tasteless salt. It is what Jesus meant when he said that the salt has become tasteless, um, because it isn't doing anything. You're preaching the gospel to people who already believe it, mm-hmm. in order to confirm them in their feelings of you know comfort or or etc. Um, instead, if you're going to preach to the church in the arts, and you look at the biblical precedent for this, the majority of that was the prophets, Mm -hmm. which I don't know if you guys have read the prophets recently, but there's some definitely glorious and encouraging passages in there that are nestled into a massive amount of not very Mm -hmm. uh, feel-goody, fuzzy uh, Mm -hmm. passages. I mean, Isaiah is rough. Ezekiel is rough. Amos, Haggai, rough. Hosea, rough. Like, they are rough. You go and you read Jeremiah and Lamentations. Those are rough. So those were what God gave those particular artists, poets, Mm -hmm. uh, or performance artists, or whatever you want to call them, uh, to give to the church. And the church persecuted them. 
And in many cases, I mean, Jesus even said, which of the prophets have you not persecuted? Mm -hmm. So oftentimes when artists that are called to the church come to the church with the art God has given those artists to make in the church, the church is not terribly receptive of that because very often that art is difficult to accept. Yeah. Yeah. So Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, I just, it clicked in my head. There's there's also, there's a huge... um, correlation between the role of prophet and the role of artist in scripture. Mm-hmm. And that's a different podcast that needs to, to be talked about. But if you're listening and you're curious, look into that and keep an eye out for that <laughs> podcast. It'll it'll come up we're, soon. We're going to talk about that at some point. It is an important topic and it's also really easy to, to misunderstand. So we're not going to get into it too much. What we don't mean, though, real quick, just as a little caveat on on the whole private artist thing, we don't mean that artists should have like the freedom to just do whatever they want with prophetic authority in a no, church. That's no. that's that's not what we mean. But we do mean that artists are often called to give work that is insightful to the needs of a people for conviction, uh, in order to bring them to repentance. And very, very, very often that is not a pleasant process for the people that are hearing it. And that's why oftentimes in our day, it's hard for artists who are really doing good work in the church to receive support. In fact, number one of the things I said, producing good art for the world with Mm -hmm. a Christian message is easier. It's actually easier for Lecrae to go out there into the world, make Christian art and be received by unbelievers than it is for him to be received even by people within the church who are made uncomfortable by his calls to repentance. And that that should trouble us. That should trouble us. That should that should dig up some things in us where it says, okay, we need to check our hearts and be humble before the Lord. If he's coming in with conviction through these people in our midst, we should not reject them like un, like like an unbeliever yeah. would. Yeah. Um, because that's where the real prejudice against the truth comes, not outside the church, but often inside the church, and that is disturbing. That should be really disturbing to us. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note. Oh, that cheery note. Oh man. Uh, do we have any questions from our producer? No. No. We're good. We were supposed to pick out a song beforehand for this, did we? No, we didn't, but I think Fiery Crashes, Steeples would be a really great uh, song. That is a, yeah. That would be real. So Fiery Crash uh, is uh, the the production of Josh Jackson, who's one of our sponsored artists, and he wrote a song called Steeples, where he's, he, you can hear him in the song pleading with this unbeliever that he's been witnessing to, and he really, he, he goes into a lot of the things that God's Not Dead actually tries to go into, mm-hmm. but with much greater nuance, much greater compassion, and just with a really beautiful song. So we're going to leave you with that and let you listen to that for a few minutes. Yeah. Thank you. We'll see you next time.
songs that yearn for accents And all of my love for you is blind And I know that your heart is solid Breaking down the steeple with your stone 